Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 10th, 2023. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, December 8th, 2023, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study is 20919, 20,919. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study, the share ID number is 20920, 20,920. This morning, A Vision for You presents Humility as a Way of Life, Steps 6 and 7. A lapse in character repeatedly makes for quite a gap in how we behave and how we might want to behave. It becomes so hardened that it takes a spiritual psychic change to overcome such a deeply ingrained constitution. In the sincerest, warm-hearted spirit of humility, this presentation will be turning our attention to Step 6 and Step 7 of the 12 Steps of Recovery. These two steps go beyond mere actions. They represent a way of living that anchors us in humility as a way of life. Step 6, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. In recognizing our character flaws, our failure of moral code and understanding their deep impact and complexity involved in letting them go, it's a humbling realization that we need a power greater than ourselves to remove these obstacles to amend relationships into something meaningful and lasting. We're reflecting on the historical context of renewal through humility. We find that humility is a central theme in theological discussions of the 1930s around the time that AA was founded. The serenity prayer penned by theologian Reinhold Niebuhr encapsulates this, highlighting our limited powers and the need for humble reliance on a higher power to overcome addiction. This prayer, now an AA mantra, speaks to the heart of living in humility, accepting what we cannot change, having the courage to change what we can, and the wisdom, i.e. the humility, to discern the difference. Step seven, humbly ask him to remove our, asking him to remove our shortcomings deepens this journey into humility. It's not about grand gestures, but a genuine heartfelt surrender to a process beyond our control. It's about patience, faith, and the willingness to let go, trusting in a higher power to guide us in whatever state that we find ourselves in. Humility as a virtue that encourages the well-being and care of self and others in service and sacrifice as we trudge the path of recovery out of self-centeredness. In the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps and 12 Traditions in the seventh step on page 70, here's a quote, indeed, the attainment of humility is a foundation principle of each of AA's 12 steps. For without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can ever stay sober at all. Nearly all AAs have found, too, that unless they develop much more of this precious quality than may be required for just sobriety, they still haven't much chance of becoming truly happy. Without it, they cannot live with too much useful purpose or in adversity be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. Page 70. I am one among many, mem, excuse me, I am one among many, a servant and a friend. Repeat that. I am one among many, a servant and a friend. 
Today's speaker sets the stage for a discussion on steps six and seven, emphasizing the importance of living a life of humility, introspection, and the transformative power of a higher force in a journey of recovery, utilizing a method of identification and acknowledgement and prayer through action. You can follow along in this discussion on page 76 on paragraph one and two. You'll see step six and step seven in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This experience of hers is such a powerful testament to the transformative effect of living in humility. A willingness to reconstruct the old way of thinking and doing is what she's done. Let's welcome our speaker to the line this morning, a fellow of hope and inspiration to share her insights on embracing humility and recovery. Please help me in extending a true a vision for you. Warm welcome to Roz G from California. Good morning, Roz. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. And just thank you. I'm humbled <laughs> by that introduction. So good morning, everyone. My name is Roz G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And through God's grace, good sponsorship, and to the 12 steps, I have been separated from compulsive overeating since January t- J- July 10th of 2019. I have had a neutrality from my alcoholic foods from July 10th of 2019. I entered into the sacred rooms of Overeaters Anonymous in January of 2002. Uh, but I had several several relapses, and I, you know, I've heard um, some of very respected pe- uh, speakers on this um, this bridge uh, mention uh, giving credit to you know some very special people that they you know learned a lot from, and that was Joe and Charlie, and the the very special speakers in my life are. AA speakers, they are Mark H., Peter M., and OA speaker H.G. And you can figure out those uh, initials because, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, be like someone that's saying that, you know, that I'm making a celebrity of people in this in this fellowship. I also need to pray because I'm a little bit nervous. God, God of my understanding, I ask you to calm my spirit. I ask you to give me a spirit of humility. Speak through me so that I may be helpful to the hearers. In your name I pray, amen. So I'm going to spend the first part of my talk qualifying as a compulsive overeater, and then the rest of the time I'm going to talk about step six and seven because um, a deep study for me of step six and seven revolutionized my recovery and my way of life. Like I said before, I came into Overeaters Anonymous in January of 2002 on a New Year's resolution type of thing. The week before was Christmas, and um, I'm going to walk to my kitchen and get some water, but I can talk while I walk. So uh, the week before was Christmas, and uh, I was at my mother's house with my sisters. I am the middle child. Not only am I the middle child, was I the middle child, I was the fat middle child. And I had uh, two sisters. They were thin, and they had their lives together. And I was the middle child, the overweight child. You'll hear some water pouring from my refrigerator. Um, and um, 
and I just I had three kids and I was a stay-at-home mom and um, poor living in poverty and an alcoholic marriage and you know I was the one with the problems and that Christmas day my mother gave us three kids the three girls <clears throat> sweaters for Christmas and she gave my two sisters colorful sweaters and she gave me a black sweater and rather than being grateful for getting a Christmas gift I was pissed off and jealous because I automatically thought she's giving me a black sweater because black is slimming and so you know one of my top character defects is jealousy but I'll talk about that a little bit later and I was and I was angry and so, of course, the topic of weight got into the conversation. And my youngest sister said to me, well, Roz, you could stand to lose a few pounds. On Christmas Day, she said this to me in the, in the family kitchen. And I got so mad at her. And I remember saying the F word and, and saying things like, I've been trying. And, you know, just, oh, I was just, I, was, I just saw red after that. And I really don't remember um, much of the day after that. I do remember I do remember eating a lot of chocolate chip cookies that day, and I really don't remember the drive home. Um, and I, my sister said to me, "I'm never going to mention weight to you again." <laughs> and um, so I drove home, and the next morning I went to uh, the whole weedery, which is like a you know a, a family owned small business health food store here in my, my town, which is actually still, still here. I was sitting in the parking lot at 7 o'clock in the morning, the day after Christmas, when most people are either shopping for sales or they're at home enjoying their day, enjoying their gifts, and with their families. But I was sitting in a cold parking lot waiting for the whole weedery to open so that I could get black seed oil and wheat germs to drink the chocolate chip cookies away, which is just another form of laxative abuse. So that is that, and, and something, while I was sitting in that parking lot, I had a moment of clarity. And that moment of clarity was, Roz, what are you doing here in a parking lot looking for laxatives the day after Christmas? Remember in 2000, um, no, in 1991, when you went to that Overeaters Anonymous meeting, remember that? You did that? Maybe you ought to try that again because when I, I did go to Overeaters Anonymous in 1991 after I had my first daughter. And I said to my best friend who's, who is an AA and we're still best friends today, is there something like, for, for eaters, for like AA, for alcoholics. And she said, yeah, there's, there's just Overeaters Anonymous. So I went to um, the San Fernando Valley group uh, of OA on Reseda Boulevard, at Sherman Way in, Reseda, in the town of Reseda. And I remember seeing a bunch of people sitting in a circle, <clears throat> ladies mostly, thin women sitting in a circle talking. And I felt very uncomfortable. I, I You know, it's a vague memory for me. And I walked out and I thought, this, what in the heck is that? Where's the diet? You know, how are they going to tell me to lose weight? And so I didn't go back to Overeaters Anonymous until 2002. 
I had a lot more of my story to be written. And so my, you know, my, I just, I got to where I was almost 200 pounds. I'm 5'4", but I don't have a huge obese weight to really talk about because I am a compulsive exerciser. I have, you know, I'm a, what we call exercise bulimic. And I used to, you know, uh, as a single parent or, or, you know, I was in an alcoholic marriage, but I called myself a single parent then too because my husband was working two jobs and would only come home you know, one day a week, he he would spend uh, his week in L.A. while I was here, here up here in the Antelope Valley, you know, taking care of the kids. Um, and so I would, you know, get exercise videos or I would leave the kids um, early in the morning, you know, sleeping. I'd get, get out and, and jog and run and, you know, just do whatever I could to work off whatever I was eating. And it never worked. It never worked. And I would, um, I used to um, go to, uh, you know, a fundamentalist church and um, I don't go to that church today, but a lot of it was, you know, I practiced my disease, so much of my disease there. Um, I, you know, I would go to Bible studies and I would have breakfast in the morning and then I'd go to the Bible study and have more breakfast. Or if I was working in the childcare, like, you know, while the service was going on, we'd pass out, you know, goldfish crackers to all the kids. And of course I, I, my hand was in the goldfish crackers as well. Um, I was more concerned about the food on the table than studying the Bible study. When we went on ladies retreats, um, uh, we were fed very generously. And I remember, you know, having lust over other women's plates. I remember one time a lady didn't finish her pasta and the waiter took the pasta away and I just, you know, followed that, that followed it with my gaze thinking, man, I wish I could eat the rest of her pasta. One night they didn't serve dessert and I was angry that they didn't, you know, um, serve dessert that night. Um, I remember cooking sausage for the kids in the morning and, you know, the sausage would come in a pack of eight and, you know, they'd get two each or we'd have two. And then um, whatever they didn't finish, I would circle the table and finish what they didn't. I remember eating, um, uh, I would make like cream of wheat and I would eat dinosaur crackers and I would dip every, you know, I would dip the crackers into the cream of wheat and it would be like a dipping session for me and, and eat all, of, you know, crackers and, and, and cookies. And I would, I would eat Pillsbury dough, uh, partially cooked uh, cookies and pass out. Uh, you know, today I know that was passing out. Back then it was taking a nap. And I woke up and I came to <laughs> feeling terrible. Um, and then I would uh, read these health food books and I would do coffee enemas. And uh, these, you know, yoga gurus talking about, you know, um, do a fast and just do a tea fast and just do tea for the weekend and then uh, you can do a fast and you can do these enemas and I do coffee enemas and tea. And, and then the next day I would just eat, eat, eat like crazy. I had, um, plantar fasciitis from jogging and have, and being overweight. I, I had two surgeries, one on my left shoulder, uh, excuse me, my right shoulder and, um, my left foot from plantar fasciitis and from over exercising and injuring my shoulder. And I remember, um, you know, uh, not wearing my sling 
and uh, the uh, the surgeon, you know, the aftercare told me you need to wear that sling for about three months, and so I did. But as soon as I got out of the sling, I was back at the gym lifting weights and doing bench presses with heavy weights. And it was I was I was you know being spotted by a, a member at the gym who probably thought I was insane. And it, and God said to me, I believe God said to me, Roz, do you really want to have another working arm? Do you want to have this arm? Then you need to stop this. And and it was like that was another moment of clarity for me. Was I in Overeaters Anonymous at that time? Yes, but you know I just wasn't. I just had to go through the pain and suffering that I had to go through to to finally say to a, a sponsor, I'm eating again. And the last the last one was, and I'm stick, skipping a lot because I want to get to my not my main topic today, but I want to qualify. You know. And um, I had several sponsors, but this one, the most effective sponsor, I uh, I was in ther- therapy, and there just happened to be a you know a Blaze Pizza restaurant in walk you know on the way to my car from therapy to my car, and I you know the therapy was very deep, and um it you know I had to face the most painful moments in my life because of this style of therapy, and to you know work through it you know through EMDR. And it was just painful. And uh, I found myself going to the Blaze Pizza place and ordering cauliflower crust pizza, thinking, well, I can eat cheese and there's no flour in the pizza. But on the way home from the, the therapy appointment, I ate the whole pizza while driving. And I thought, I'm, this is not abstinent behavior. And I got honest with, with uh, this person and said, you know, I ate a whole pizza on the way home from therapy. And so she um, she and I began to work together and we formulated a food plan. And I did all the food plans too, but I never stuck to them. And um, she said, Roz, you're going to need to make friends with green vegetables with her um, main accent. <laughs> and um, I made friends with green vegetables and I weighed and measured everything. Um, and the most effective part of uh, that that taking the steps with her was was taking a deeper look at step six and seven. So I would like to emphasize today that the talk about steps in six and seven and humility is not a talk about taking steps six and seven, because I have heard repeatedly from a very respected um, OA people that, you know, t- step six and seven only take a few minutes, if, you know, you become willing to have the character defects removed and then you ask God to remove them through the seventh step prayer. And that's how you take step six and seven. And yes, I believe that is true. So today's talk is not about that quick 30 second (laughs) to a minute step six and seven. It's about a workshop type of a talk and my life, my life as to how step six and seven have revolutionized my life because the main object of the book of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous is to help us find a higher power by which we can live and and it, it, it solves all the problems and and I'm not saying it to that exactly but it, you know it's an we agnostics the, the you know the main purpose of the book is to help me find a a power greater than myself by which I can live. And so in step seven, that power has to remove these 
these character defects from me. I am as powerless over my character defects as I am over compulsive overeating. I could not remove them. And all of those character defects were set the stage for my eating. So I'm going to take a sip of water here. And yes, as Melanie said, I'm going to go, I'm going to back up to page 75 in the big book. And I would invite you to please get your um, your AA uh, 12 and 12 if you happen to have it handy, because I'm going to be referring to the AA 12 and 12 a lot today. So on page 75 in the big book, we've taken step five. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, and asking is code for prayer in the big book. For we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Page 76. If we can answer to our satisfaction, then we look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask, we pray, and ask God to help us be willing. So yes, when you're taking step six, you ask your sponsee, are you willing to let go of these character defects? And you say something like, God, please, I ask you to please help me to be willing to let go of the things to which I still cling. And those are the things I want to talk about today. Because no matter how many times I prayed that prayer, I still had um, terrible, terrible uh, character defects that were just lingering and they were a problem in my life and they they were a hindrance to me. And I learned through deep um, uh, willingness and honesty and work with my sponsor, whom I trusted, to, to take a look at these character defects which were hindering my life. And they, there were quite a few of them, and I'm going to name some of them to you because in the AA 12 and 12, it, it, you know, Bill, um, oh, let me just pause to say that, you know, I have been fortunate enough to um, attend, you know, the Vision for You conferences. Two of them I've been to. You probably have way more than that, but I came in about four, about five years ago, I came to Vision for You. And I was um, fortunate enough to travel to New Jersey and be there. And uh, we took a ride, you know, in a van, a couple, you know, a few of the ladies and I, and, and we, we, we took the van over to um, Bill Wilson's home. And on the property, there's a place where you can go and see where he wrote the 12 and 12. And, um, you know, I don't have the, the, the base, the history base of how the 12 and 12 was written, but I have been, you know, told that, that, you know, it, that, that you can learn a lot about the traditions in the um, 12 and 12, and uh, that I get a deeper understanding of the steps, in, you know, through reading the 12 and 12. It does not give directions. 
it is not the the prescription of recovery it is you know uh, a book of essays that um that are wonderful to discuss and 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 keep, you can do you know workshops with them and so i'm going to um take a look i'm going to look over at um the the 12 and the 12 i'm on page 63 <clears throat> And it says, um, I'm just going to kind of like skim some of the, the paragraphs. And so maybe just listening would be better instead of trying to follow along unless you want to. But it says, of course, the often disputed question of whether God can and will, under certain conditions, remove defects of character will be answered with a prompt affirmative by almost any AA member. To him, this proposition will be no theory at all. It will be just about the largest fact of his life. He will surely offer his proof in a statement like this. Sure, I was beaten, absolutely licked. My own willpower just wouldn't work on alcohol. Change of scene. The best efforts of family, friends, doctors, and clergymen got no place with my alcoholism. I simply couldn't stop drinking, and no human being could seem to do the job for me. But when I became willing to clean house and then ask a higher power, God, as I understood him, to give me release, my obsession to drink vanished. It was lifted right out of me. And so, you know, although I didn't have quite that same experience, when I became willing to let go of, Envy, jealousy, self-pitying, entitlement, superiority complex, self-seeking, lazy, above the rule, a cheat, an intolerant woman, a judgmental woman, and a dishonest woman. The obsession with food and the neutrality came into my life. And taking a square look at those character defects was not fun. It was a lot of work. And on page 64 of the 12 and 12, it says, men and women pour so much alcohol into themselves that they destroy their lives. They commit a most unnatural act, defying their instinctive desire for self-preservation they seem bent upon self-destruction. They work against their own deepest instinct as they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by alcohol. The grace of God can enter them and expel their obsessions. So yes, exchange with food. I ate so much food that I destroyed, I was destroying my life. I was committing a most unnatural act. It is unnatural to you know to eat two or three helpings of food to eat a whole tube of of Pillsbury dough chocolate chip cookies to eat a whole pack a fam a family size not a party size but a family size frozen macaroni and cheese from Stouffer's that is slow suicide and that's what I was doing I was destroying my life with that because I was envying because I was jealous because I was self-pitying and I was chained to those character defects and God I had to ask God to help God didn't remove it number one like without 
my help. In the book, it says, if we ask, God will certainly forgive our derelictions. But in no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. What, what, what does that mean? What kind of cooperation did I have to do? Oof. I had to look, I had to look at, at these defects of character. And some of them are named here in the 12 and 12. Glaring destructive handicaps. I had the chronic pain of envy. I had enough glutton, gluttony to ruin my health. I liked to feel superior to the other person. I liked to be a gossip. I liked to be angry. I liked to as- character assassinate other people. Why? Because it made me feel better about myself. I also was jealous of people who attained things, like my sister who had college degrees. And, you know, I, was, I, had, I had no education. I had a high school education. And I had three kids. And I, and I was jealous because my sister had an education and she, and my other sister was working on her PhD and I was sitting in a three bedroom apartment on the, you know, east side of, of my, of town. It was a, it was a very, you know, hard part of town watching people take vacations and do things with their lives while I was, you know, taking my kids to the library to get video, you know, videos because that I had no money to buy them anything, you know, to, to take them places. And that was my way of life. But I was jealous because they were doing the work. And it says here in the 12 and 12 on page 67, when gluttony is less ruinous, we have a milder word for that. We call it taking our comfort. We live in a world riddled with envy. Everybody is infected with it. From this defect, we must surely get a warped yet definite satisfaction. Else, why would we consume great amounts of time wishing for what we have not rather than working for it or angrily looking for attributes we shall never have instead of adjusting to the fact and accepting it? I was envious of my sisters and anybody that had any success and I was not willing to do the work. But, you know, after working the 12 steps and getting a divorce and, you know, being a stay-at-home mom and living on, you know, the government for everything, I was, you know, I was told that, you know, in, you know, in order to get these benefits, you're going to need to, uh, you know, have a welfare-to-work program or go back to school. And so... <clears throat> uh, I chose to go back to school. And so I went and I, I went from the very bottom. <laughs> I went to a community college and I was asked, you know, I took a class that was like, that was like, this, this class is for people who have not been in college for a, lot, a long time and it reintroduces you back into getting, you know, getting into college and teaching you how to study and taking, um, personality test to see what your you know what your what you like to do and so I I did all of that and and I discovered that you know writing and teaching were you know good for me and so I I I went the teaching route because I could raise my kids and I could work in schools 
and I would be on the same schedule as them. And so I was living my life while, you know, in Overeaters Anonymous, taking the steps and, you know, working towards a life, you know, having a life where I would have an income. And so um, getting back to, you know, being with my sponsor and looking at these defects of character, it was, you know, drilled into me that, hey, Roz, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up for this. You, you're just as powerless over these defects of character as you are the food. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask God to, to remove these. And so I had to look to see what, what is, you know, what are these defects of character? You know, what are the benefits I'm getting that, you know, from them? Well, you know, when I'm envy and jealous, when I'm envying and jealous, uh, acting jealous over my sisters or anybody, um, I get to isolate and I get to say, I don't want to be around you. And so that means I don't have to face my own life. Or when I'm self-pitying, you know, pitying myself, I get to isolate. I get to hide the hurt and I don't have to face my life. And so what, you know, what am I getting out of that? Nothing but isolation and the desire to eat more and to mask the pain with more food. So, you know, on the other side of that, it was suggested to me that I start looking at what the opposite of those defects of character are. So, here, you know, the light here is that, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I have these defects of character. I'm powerless over removing them. What am I doing to to ask God to remove them? Well, it was suggested to me that I take these things to prayer and meditation and to ask God to remove them and to show me the way of the opposite of them. And so what I would do is I would, you know, I would sit in my my room. I have, you know, I have a place in my bedroom where I where I practice prayer and meditation, which is, you know, a daily discipline, as it has been um, suggested through many AA talks, that these are, you know, disciplines that, you know, practicing, practicing step 10 and 11 are daily disciplines and that without those, I'm just going to go right back into the food. So I took these character defects to my meditation chair and I said, you know, I asked God to remove them. And through that, you know, through the, through the prayer meditation time, you know, God said to me, okay, Whenever you feel this way, thank me. Thank me for what you have. Thank me for anything that you have. So I had a lot. I actually did. I was I was working on my own college education. I I received uh, um, some money from my grandparents, and I was able to buy my home. And so I really do have a lot. I have an education. I have a home. I have dogs that love me. I have three amazing kids. They're adult children now that are productive members of society. I have a wonderful career. And through a lot of hard work, you know, I, I obtained several college degrees. And I have a job that pays well. And I have, um, all, you know, all the benefits that are needed to, you know, have sick days and and paid sick days and lots of vacation. I have a good relationship with people. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I really, that I have. Um, one of, another one of my character defects was being entitled 
you know, after teaching for so many years, I, I didn't feel as though I needed to, you know, sit down and plan my lessons. And so I was kind of just spitballing lessons and the vice principal walked in on one of my classes one day and my kids were really not engaged in the lesson. And um, it looked bad. It just looked bad. And so he left me an email, you know, telling me that I needed to, uh, to, to, to do a little bit more with the kids. And I felt, I felt, you know, I really felt horrible about that. And um, I took it to meditation. And what I was doing was I was being entitled and superior and, um, and slothful. And so God told me, you know, you're going to need to plan your lessons. You're, you've been placed in a position to, to teach, our, you know, the new generation. And you have a responsibility to, to teach them. And that means you get to lesson plan just like everybody else, just like the new teacher. You are another bozo on the bus when it comes to that. And so, you know, today I, I, I plan my lessons and uh, my, my classroom is well, well planned and well managed. My kids love, you know, being in there. I have an instructional aide who absolutely loves to work with me. And I, you know, I have a very good reputation at work, and because of that, the the principal has asked me to be the um, the chair of the school site council. I have been, I was uh, given a, a position of being an instructional coach, and I have a a well respected role on my campus. Not because I thought that I was entitled to it, because I worked for it. Because, you know, there was another time where I thought that I was entitled to all these leadership roles, and I interviewed for about seven of them, and guess how many I got? Zero. That was very humbling for me. So, you know, I'm just talking about how how the program and working these 12 steps work in my life. I don't sit in meditation working the 12 steps 24 hours a day. I spend, you know, the first part of my day doing that, but then life begins. You know, I've got to get up and brush my teeth and take a shower and prepare my food and go to work, you know, until I retire. And I have to live my life every day. So I thank God for, you know, looking at these these defects of character, which have, you know, which God removes on a daily basis. And when that crap comes up again, I need to do a 10th step and to look at what the glaring character defects are, which mainly are selfishness. But I'm telling you, that 10th step saves me. All right, so I'm going to move on to um, to step seven. So on page 76 in the big book, it says, oh, let me check the time here. Okay. So when ready, we say something like this. My creator, oh, at, you know, after being ready and willing to let go of all this crap, when ready, we say something like this, my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. So that means everything, you know, and there's a lot, I have a lot of good. I, I'm a very outgoing person. I have a lot of energy. I'm very friendly. Um, I have I have the gift of being able to speak and edify people and encourage people. I'm I'm preser- I'm persevering. That those are, you know, very good qualities. And then and bad. Well, I'm envying, I'm jealous, I'm self-pitying, I'm entitled, I have a superiority complex, I'm self-seeking and lazy and sometimes I feel as though I act above the rule. Those are those things that I need God to 
to remove. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness. If I'm envying, jealousy, self-pitying, entitled, superior, and self-seeking, I can't be useful to God or my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. That means, you know, going out to do my bidding. That means going to work every day. Or I hear an echo, if somebody could please mute. Um, going to visit my mother, my 84-year-old mother, asking her how she's doing, see if, if there's a way I can be of service to her, being of service at my church, singing in the choir, um, working in the kids' ministry, you know, think, you know, just giving of myself. Um, so I'd like to move, you know, just to, to, to point out some things, Roz, you might be muted. Would you press star one, please? I'm now unmuted. <laughs> I didn't hear myself you, get Chris. muted. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. All right. Back to, uh, I'm, I'm on page 70 in the 12 and 12. I'm just going to read a little bit because I'm going to get into Since this step is so specifically concerns itself with humility, we should pause here to consider what humility is. I didn't know what the heck humility was until I worked the 12 steps. And I believe that Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson's pen in this, in this 12 and 12 has given me a fabulous definition of what it is. Indeed, the attainment of greater humility is the foundation principle of each of AA's 12 steps. For without some degree of humility, no alcoholic or a compulsive overeater can stay sober at all. Nearly all AAs have found, too, that unless they develop much more of this precious quality than may be, be, be required for sobriety, still haven't had much of a chance of becoming truly happy. Without it, they cannot live much to much useful purpose or in adversity be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. Because in the steps it says, when these crop up, and, and Bill tells us somewhere, you know, that we're surely going to experience pain in our life. And without some degree of humility and faith and relationship with power, we're doomed. We're not going to have any defense. We have no mental defense. We have to have a power greater than ourselves to be able to um, remove the 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 compulsion to eat it says it says here humility as a word as an ideal has a very bad time in our world not only is the idea misunderstood the word is often in, intensely disliked many people haven't even a nodding acquaintance with humility as a way of life much of the everyday talk we hear has a great deal of what we read highlight man's pride in his own achievements. But I want to go to page 71 where it says <laughs> that we as compulsive eaters, and I can say Roz, that my belief was to satisfy my own natural desires. That was the main object of my life, to satisfy. 
my own basic natural desires, to eat what I want to eat, to date who I want to date, to do what I want to do. But we are sure that no class of people in the world ever made a worse mess of trying to live by this formula than alcoholics. And I want to include myself in there as a compulsive overeaters eater. For thousands of years, we have been demanding more than our share of security, prestige, and romance. I have the disease of more. When we seem to be succeeding, we drank to dream still greater dreams with me eating. When we were frustrated, even in part, we drank for oblivion. I ate for oblivion, eat the whole pizza. Never was there enough of what we wanted. (laughs) And you know what? I want to say that today I still have the disease of more. When I step on the scale, it's never enough. I've never lost enough weight. (laughs) There's, um, you know, I'm going to just bear my soul to you and say that, you know, I've been single a very long time. And I know that God has a plan for that. And today, uh, God has actually given me a person in my life that I'm very attracted to. And uh, it's uh, it's at a dance studio, and I get to dance with him a lot. And we get to spend a lot of time together. And um, I want more. You know, whenever I leave, it's like, I want more, I want more. And then God reminds me, hey, Roz, remember, you have the disease of more. So now I get to thank God for every time I dance with him, for every time I talk to him, for every time I look in his eyes, for every time he smiles at me, for every time we just get to spend time together. And that's enough. (laughs) For me, that's humility. In all these strivings, so many of the uh, well-intentioned, in all these strivings, so many of them well intentioned our crippling handicap had been our lack of humility. We had lacked the perspective to see that character building and spiritual values had to come first and that material satisfactions were not the purpose of living. Yes, I have college degrees. Yes, I have a big home. Yes, I drive two cars. Yes, I have a salary and a 401k. Are they the main object of my life? Do they bring the the satisfactions of life? No, they do not. Character building and spiritual values do. Because what am I doing with those things? How am I treating the people around me? Is it all about me, myself, and I? Or is it about, okay, God, you've given me these gifts. What am I doing with them? Am I doing them to serve you? For me, material desires as the means by which we could live and function as human beings, we had taken these these satisfactions as the final end and aim of life. Yes, my final end and aim was to make a million dollars, to have all these um, titles before and after my name. And I have found out I've never made a million dollars, I'll tell you that now. But I do have titles. But I'll tell you something now, they did not bring satisfaction. What brings satisfaction? Filling the God-shaped hole with God, asking God what he wants me to do, and doing it. That's what brings satisfaction. So 
there's something that's in uh, on page 72 in the 12 and 12 that I've written on a sticky note and put on my bathroom mirror. And it says here on page 72, we never thought of making honesty, tolerance, and true love of man and God the daily basis of living. I'm going to repeat that. We never thought of making honesty, tolerance, and true love of man and God the daily basis of living. So what do I see when I look at that sticky note in the bathroom in the morning? Honesty, tolerance, true love of man and God, and it is a daily basis of my living. Can you imagine that? Instead of me, myself, and I, and what am I going to get out of today? You know, I have to be honest. As it says in the in the big book, you know, that honest, we have to be honest. Honesty is a major part of our recovery. Without it, there's no recovery. And, you know, I have to be honest. Are there days where I'm angry at people? Yes. Are there days where I'm um, fearful? Yes. Uh, are there days where I change my food? Yes. Not not to alcoholic foods, but yes, life happens. What do I do? I tell my sponsor, I changed from this to this because I don't want to have any secrets. Secrets will kill me. As we hear in the rooms, we're as sick as our secrets. So I don't have any secrets. If I have one, it doesn't feel good and I need to get rid of it. And so I tell my sponsor or somebody else. And there's this paragraph that's extremely powerful on page 72 in the 12 and 12 that says, For us, this process of gaining a new perspective was unbelievably painful. Yes, I don't like to admit that I'm jealous and and envious and slothful. I don't like it. It was only by repeated humiliation that we were forced to learn something about humility, not getting seven jobs that I applied for. I mean, like leadership roles, I already had a job, but I wanted leadership roles on my campuses. I got zero. Seven. Hmm, that's that's a godly number. It was only at the end of a long road marked by successive defeated humiliations and the final crushing of our self-sufficiency that we began to feel humility as something more of a condition of groveling despair. Every newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous is told and soon realizes for himself that this humble admission of powerlessness over alcohol is his first step towards liberation from the paralyzing grip. So it is that we first see humility as a necessity. This was the barest beginning. So I have to begin my day with humility. As it says in the big book, divorce my thinking from self-pity, self-dishonest uh, and self-seeking motives. Then, then God gives me a clear brain that, that he can use it. And today, I, I really get to practice humility again with um, a new, a new, a new activity that's brought into my life, and that's dancing. Through um, through a coach in my life and through God's guidance, uh, I was brought to a, a new activity, and I'm, I'm starting to learn, uh, you know, dancing, and dancing, um, partner dancing, you know. And I'm with a bunch of younger people. I don't like it, but I am 60 years old now. Um, I've I've had a lot of, you know, youth. I've had that all. 
um, I, I can't control what, what year I was born. And an alcoholic marriage and compulsive overeating and pain and misery stole my dreams of wanting to be a, you know, a stage actress, a comedian. I loved improv comedy. I was in an improv comedy group until my a former husband got jealous of me and I had to quit that. He didn't like me doing that. And so it was all taken away from me. And, you know, I, I got, I, I entered into a marriage and then I had kids and, and that was that. It all disappeared. And I don't regret having my children because I absolutely adore them. But all those dreams were gone. And now they're grown and, and they're doing well. And God has given me the gift of being able to go back and, and, and now it's, it's starting with dancing. And I'm the oldest one there. I auditioned for some teams and I'm going to be on a salsa team and a bachata team. And the owner of the studio is young and very experienced dancer. And I get to listen to what she tells me. I don't get to tell her, oh, I, I'm, this, I'm, I'm this age and I have this degree. And she doesn't give a crap about any of that. I don't even tell. She doesn't even know about what I do. I'm just there as a dancer. So I get to listen. I get to keep my mouth shut. And I get to take direction, which I learned through sponsorship. My sponsor told me to be quiet and to listen and to take direction. And all of these skills that I've learned through sponsorship and through the 12 steps, I'm taking into dancing. And so I, I go to the dance studio. I wear what they tell me to wear. I stand where they tell me to stand. And I do what they tell me to do. And, you know, I, 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 it's like when I'm dancing, it's like freedom. It's like I'm on a cloud. I'm, it's, it's euphoric. And it's like I'm doing something that God is allowing me to do. That's, that's just wonderful. And um, I hope to, to make a team. And, you know, <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to mention a couple of names and just I'll just say it once so that you guys won't get mad and saying that I'm saying this is an outside issue. But, you know, there's some celebrities out there that are quite old, Dolly Parton, Cher. <laughs> they're old, but they look so fabulous and they're doing things with their lives. And it's like, you know, yeah, I'm 60, but it doesn't matter because because of the healthy food plan that I eat and the healthy way that I live, I have a lot of stamina and a lot of energy, and I can I can keep up with those kids. Well, they're most of them they're in their thirties, so I'm about twenty some years older than all of them. And it's humbling. It's it's humbling. So what do I go there for? I ask God to help me to bring joy to people, to help me to, um, to 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 just be myself, to bring a smile, to bring wisdom. I actually pray before I dance and, you know, I don't make a big deal of it, but I just say, God, you know, give me the grace to just do what they ask me to do. And so one time when we were, you know, going to be performing for the boulevard, the, the owner of the studio said, well, let's all get in a circle and let's pray. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. I wonder, I wonder if I had an influence on her. You know, God brought me there for a reason to fulfill some life dreams that were lost through compulsive overeating and to revisit some of my youth in that yeah i love musical i love i love dancing i love singing i sing in my church choir you know so i'm able to participate in things that i 
that were lost through compulsive overeating. God's given me some dreams. And, you know, I don't know about the guy there. I really like him. But I don't, I'm just letting God be the um, the judge of that because I heard an AA speaker say that, um, you know, uh, God, I've, I've, I've made a mess of things and um, I'm just going to do what this book tells me to do. I'm going to do what the book tells me and it's your responsibility to bring who you want into my life and what you want me to do. And you, you provide my job, you provide my home, you provide who you want in my life, and I'm just going to be a sunbeam seeking you. And so every morning, you know, I get up and I pray and I ask God for humility. I ask God, you know, to make that honesty and tolerance and true love of God and man would be the daily basis of my life. Because as the 12 and 12 says of myself, I am nothing. The Father doeth the work. I, I, I bring God first. And God brings all this other wonderful stuff into my life because I really wasn't looking to do that. So I get emails. Oh, we're going to be dancing here. Can you join us? Oh, we're going to be doing this. Can you join us? Oh, we're having a potluck today to get the new to get to know the new dancers. What do I get to do? I get to bring the salad from you know a lot of it from my garden because I I love gardening, and I I get to bring a salad from my garden, and I get to bring gifts, and I get to bring a smile. That's what I get to do today. Um, it's it's not that I'm looking for it. It's not that I'm forcing solutions. It's that God is bringing these things to me, um, and so. Uh, just to say that, you know, I just want to look on page 76 and kind of end my talk here. The seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude, which permits us with humility as our guide to move from ourselves towards others and towards God. The whole emphasis of step seven is on humility. So humility means that I have a right size of who I am. You know, it's it's a cute little saying, but yeah, I'm another bozo on the bus. I'm another compulsive overeater. I'm another teacher. I'm another dancer. I'm another church member. I'm a mom. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. And I'm no longer hiding behind my character defects. I'm no longer hiding behind food. I'm out there. I'm out there living my life, being Roz, who I am. I do service in Overeaters Anonymous. I'm looking forward to the OA birthday party. I hope to see a lot of you there because we are going to have so much fun. It's at the LAX Hilton Hotel. It's January 12th through the 14th. If you haven't registered for it, please do, because I would love to see all of your smiling faces there. And yes, dance with you on the dance floor. And and here, you know, here's some rap music. I'm hoping our, ra- our resident rapper is going to be there and our big book teacher is going to be there. And there's going to be panels and there's going to be keynote speakers and workshops and and lunch and dinner. I believe we're going to have a heart player at the at the luncheon, and just you know, fun and 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 crying and hugging and laughing, 
And I just want to be a humble servant to see you all there. I am so honored to be a member of Overeaters Anonymous. This changed my life because I was, I lived in an alcoholic marriage for 17 years. I was hiding behind food. I was hiding my, all of my talents were snuffed out by food, by anger, by jealousy, by self-pity. And today I don't have that. I have humility. I have God. I have you. Vision for me. You has changed my life. I forgot to give Vision for You credit. It's the big book and the Vision for You meetings revolutionized my recovery and my sponsor came through that. I don't have a Vision for You sponsor now, but I have an amazing sponsor from Los Angeles. And she's great too. And I've worked with men and I've worked with women. And also working with men also has given me a lot of insight about how to have a relationship with a guy, you know. So I'm going to stop there and just say thank you for listening. I hope that this talk was helpful to somebody. And it was very humbling for me. So uh, I'm just going to say thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you very much, Faraz G. from California. It's such a joy to experience your humility and the enthusiasm that you have. Thank you for your teaching this morning. It walked us right through how to move and examples of how you have grown in this area of humility by taking a look at character and being willing being willing to address those. It was warm and heartfelt. What a presentation today. It was just electric and special. Appreciate you very, very much. It would be great to have this as part of our archives. So I want to let folks know the share ID number for today, in case you want to listen to this again. It's very inspiring. For Sunday, December 10th, 2023, the share ID number is 20923, So we have now come to the part of the meeting for questions and answers. If you have a question this morning for Roz, please unmute your phone by pressing star 1 on your phone keypad. Offer your first name and the first letter of your last name in your state. And then immediately upon asking your question, please press star 1 to mute your line. Who would like to ask a question this morning? John Kay. John Kay. Anyone else? Well, John, go ahead with your question. That might warm up the rest of the folks that are here today. Your question, please. Okay. I have an observation. Uh, humility basically means you have your feet on the ground. Uh, we, and I in particular, have a, a very hard time figuring out what's ground and what's kind of trying to walk on air or water or something. Uh, has she any insights into this Ross were you able to catch that question give us just a moment here I'm oh, sorry hello. Melanie I was mel- I was uh, muting and unmuting I did I did not hear a question um have an observation. Is there a question in that John Mhm question is can your take on how do you stay grounded how you get there it has the oh. appearance of being able to walk on water just the observation that he's had with a difficult time there how do i stay grounded 
through prayer, meditation, and the tenth step. But you know, if I'm if I'm living an abstinence life and I am I'm not eating, then I'm feeling. Okay, and so I recognize that I have a feeling, and then when I feel that feeling and it's uncomfortable, I do a tenth step, and the tenth step keeps me grounded because it shows me why where I'm feeling this, why I'm feeling this, and asking God to remove it and keeping right sized. I hope that that's a sufficient answer to that. Thank you. Thank you very much, John Kay, for that question. Yes, Rob, thanks for the for the answer. Any other questions this morning? Your first name, first letter of your last name, and your state, please. Pete B. Freya H. And that's Pete B. Freya. Say again, your last Deb name. Deb E. Hang on just a second, Deb. Somebody else just before. Was that Rivka? Yeah, thanks. Okay, and then Deb E. Nancy K. Something K. Nancy. Nancy, hey, if you're on your speaker, can you go to a regular line that's echoing? I couldn't quite catch and I want to get your question. Anybody else? We just maybe could have time for one more. LNC, Long Island, New York. LNC, thanks so much, LNC, Long Island, New York. Appreciate the space there. Okay, let's go with Kate B. Everybody else, a quick star one. Thanks, Melanie, for your service. Um, appreciate it. My name is Pete I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Ross, thanks for your presentation, and thanks for all your service and the vision for you. It's always refreshing to hear your voice. And so my question is, is that the big book tells us that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our trouble. And I'm just curious, and what do you do, to, uh, what do, you do for relief of selfishness and self-centeredness? Wow. Thank you, Pete. Um, well, as I have been taught that all of those character defects are a manifestation of selfishness. And so, um, like the root of a plant, you know, because I'm a master gardener, <laughs> and that's just a little title that you get when you do some, you know, community college work, uh, I learned that you have to nurture the roots of the plant to get a, a harvest, a good harvest. And as with the root of the plant, nurturing it, fertilizing it, watering it, making sure it gets enough sun, you will get a great harvest. And so if the root of my trouble is selfishness and self-centeredness, the manifestation and the fruit of that is going to be crap in my life. And so what do I do? I nurture my root, my roots, with with selflessness, God-centeredness, kindness, tolerance, and love. And by doing that, it's all, you know, I'm coming back to that 10th step again. It's pausing and asking God to, um, to, 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 you know, where is this coming from, God? Do I need to do a 10th step over this? Or is this uh, plaguing me so much that I need to do a, a like a fourth step on it? Uh, because Recently, I actually got mad at the pastor of my church, <laughs> and I was doing 10-step on it, and it was like, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. This, this is a root of selfishness here. He's not doing it my way, and, and I wrote out a fourth step on it. So nurturing my roots with prayer, meditation, honesty, tolerance, and love is, is a way of 
of of nurturing those roots so that they be you know so that the manifestation of the of my of my life would be you know like kindness and god centeredness so that that's how I do it is through ten step work and nurturing those those roots. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Pete B, for your question. Freya H. from Colorado, your question. Oh, thank you, Melanie, for hearing me. Freya H., Colorado. Thank you, Roz, for your presentation. I just love to hear how you, when you're working with others, how do you take them through these steps, step six and seven? Okay. Uh, I do do the big book. Uh, this was like, today was kind of like an extracurricular activity. Um, I take them through the big book, and uh, we do step six and seven. But, you know, it depends on the sponsee. Uh, sometimes I get people who are relapsed, and they've taken the steps, and, you know, we go through them again. But sometimes we we go through uh, the, the, the process of taking a look at what your character defects are that are hindering your life. So... Uh, sometimes I take a, day, a deeper look with them through looking at um, the 12 and 12 through what the character defects are. But uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a big book thumper and I do it the big book way. But, you know, sometimes we need to take a look at, well, what are these character defects? And, and then with the, with the step seven, we, we pray and we, and, and sometimes I ask them to, uh, to, uh, write their own version of a seven-step prayer so that they can have a, a deeper understanding for them of what it might be for them. But no, I don't stray from the big book, and no, I don't have them do anything else. It's all, it's all big book, and sometimes I bring in some of those 12 and 12 extra readings just for deepening the understanding of, the, of what your character defects are doing to hinder your life. Thank you. Thank you, Freya H. from Colorado. Rivka? You're up next with your question, followed by Deb E. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much, Melanie, for your service. And wow, Ross, that was absolutely so moving and powerful. And I wanted to thank you so much. Um, my question is just something I never dealt with before, and, and a sponsee who gets triggered every time she hears the words selfishness or character defects, or we've had to kind of like call it ego defenses, but like, I'm not sure, have you ever dealt with something like that before? I mean, to me, it was relief to hear about selfishness and character defects. Um, but for her, it's very triggering. And I don't know, like, how do you do this with somebody who can't even say the word character defect or selfishness? Yep. They may have to go through a lot more pain. Um, I had a sponsee like that once that got offended when I said selfishness and self-centeredness. And she's she's like, well, I'm very offended by that. And I said, well, I'm sorry that you're offended, but that's what the big book says, and I teach the big book. So would you prefer to have another sponsor? That's my answer. Thank you, Rivka, for your question this morning. And that's followed by Deb E., your question, and then we'll look for Nancy Kay's question. Star one, Deb E., Deb E., are you still with us this morning? Yes, I am. I pushed the wrong button like many before me. Good morning. 
this is Debbie in Montana, and I first want to thank you, Melanie and Roz. Roz, for a delightful journey through six and seven. I can hear your joy in recovery. Um, the question that I have, you know, like you, it took me a long time to many years to find an abstinence that would work for me. And I'm thinking about, you know, for somebody who looks at that issue of the multiple relapses over the years until you find a way to make it work. And I'd like to hear from you when you did find that way of living um, in abstinence or without the things that triggered you in, in 2019, what were the attitudes and actions that made the difference for you? And I will be off the line and take your answer. Thank you so much. It's a lot of ego reduction. It's not fun, okay? Ego reduction. You have to admit when you're wrong. And, you know, just like just three days ago, uh, I'm on a board and I did some things that were not so fun and cool and were wrong. And I had to tell them, I am sorry for being this way. I was wrong. I apologize to you. And that gives me the opportunity to look the world in the eye once again. So if you have, I have to have enough humility to admit I am wrong. I, you know, I I have to tell my sister, I'm sorry that I'm jealous of you. I'm sorry that I was a bitch to you. I really am. I am I am working a 12-step program. I have a lot of issues that I'm working through. I love you very much, and I ask you to forgive me. And then and then if she chooses to take it, fine. If she doesn't, there's nothing I can do. So it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of like I know I'm using the word humility a lot, but it is a it's a it's a lot of humility and squarely looking yourself in the mirror and and having a sponsor that you really trust and saying you know I did this and if you have a good loving trusting sponsor, they're going to say okay. Let's look at the tools to see what we can do about it and not, oh, you did that? You know, how dare you? That's not going to work. So it's all about admitting you're wrong and asking, you know, for a forgiveness or is there something I can do to make it right and not groveling because the big book says we don't grovel. We stand, we stand up, you know, we we stand and we say, Okay, it's a fact-finding thing. I'm so, I did this. I realized I was wrong. How can I make it better? And then live those things out and ask God to give you the strength and the direction to do it because we're powerless over all that stuff. But with, if you develop a very, like, consistent prayer and meditation practice, like every, you know, at each time of the day, I heard that, you know, monasteries that they that they actually have time, it becomes a consistent way of life. And if you are practicing prayer and meditation, you're going to have a God consciousness, and God's going to show you, or whatever your higher power is, it's going to show you. If you're not, if you're living in selfish self-centeredness and, and uh, eating, you will not see these things. You are blocked. 
So I hope that that's helpful. I'm no expert. I'm just trying to answer the best way I can. <laughs> Thank you. Very good, Roz. Yeah, thanks, Debbie, for your question this morning for Roz. Next up is Nancy Kay with a question followed by Ellen C. Hi, this is Nancy Kay, um, new member from New Jersey. Um, Hi, Nancy. Roz, good morning. Good morning. Roz, um, your share today has been such an inspiration to me um, as a new member trudging this road to recovery. Okay, so my question is, um, how do I keep from judging and berating myself as I try to work this program and when I have slips and, and failures? How do I stop bullying myself? Thank you. Okay. Um, I know this is not fun to hear, but that's just another part, another part of your ego. You know, self-pity and beating up ourselves is another form of ego. Oh, I'm different. I'm bad. I'm, 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 I'm bad. I'm this. I'm that. Well, it's just all about you. When it's really, the big book says, you know, we have a spiritual malady. And so it's not that you're bad. It's that you and I have a spiritual malady. And one of the instructions we're given is to ask God to divorce ourselves from self-pity. And, I'm, I, hey, I am very versed in self-pity. It sucks. And I have, I have spent a lot of time in it. It has done me absolutely no good. And one of the primary purposes of our lives is to be of service, maximum service to God and to the people about us. And so if I'm sitting there tell, talk, telling myself how bad I am, I am of absolutely no usefulness to anyone. But, you know, it, it, you, self-pity can be another one of those character defects that, is, that you are uh, powerless over. So work the steps on your self-pity. Have you tried that? Maybe um, work the steps on your self-pity. Step one, I'm powerless over self-pity. And... Um, my life is unmanageable. Step two, I, can't, I need to come to believe in a power greater than myself to relieve me of self-pity. And then step three, you know, um, I'm going to turn my life and will over, my will, my will of self-pity over to the care of God. You know, God cares for you and God doesn't want you to be in self-pity. And then, you know, maybe you could write out a fourth step on your self-pity and share it with your sponsor. And do and and do all the twelve steps on your self pity, and you will find that it it will be amazing to, to see the revelations from that. So self pity is just another form of ego, and I'm telling you that because I know for myself, and I get scared of self. I'm a fearful of self pity. I don't want I don't want to have any part of it. Uh, it does creep up, but when it does, I talk to my sponsor about it. So I hope that that's helpful to you. And, you know, God made you and God doesn't make junk. And you have a purpose in this world and find out what it is and fulfill it. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy Kay from New Jersey for your question this morning and your reply to that, Roz. Next up would be Ellen C. from New York. Your question, please. 
Thank you, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Ellen C., Long Island, New York. Roz, thank you so much for the extraordinary presentation. Moving, touching, inspiring. My, my question is, you know, I often hear on the line barring from being, you know, super person to um, a, a complete uh, washout. Um, I understand about the disease of more and, um, you know, but building on the, the question that's been asked, the question is about being shame-based and not enough and going to that not enough place, um, which I believe, of course, leads to disease of more. So could you just say more about the not enough part, Ross? Okay. Um, well, I'll just, you know, give examples. Um, if I step on the scale, it's not enough. I haven't lost enough. If I dance with the guy that I like, it's not enough. I want more. Um, if I get an extra duty paycheck besides my salary, it's not enough. I should have earned more. It's a never-ending cycle of wanting more and when will it ever be enough it is a god-shaped hole that can only be filled with god because uh our disease is uh no no human power was able to to uh relieve us of the compulsion to eat and so you know, no human power is going to relieve me of my disease of more. So uh, a very good practice, like a, a, uh, a practical practice of, of taking action and fighting the disease of more is a gratitude list. So, yeah, you may hear that all the time. Oh, just do a gratitude list. But if you really practice, which I do every day, if I practice gratitude by naming the things that I'm grateful for, it is very powerful. You know, I'm grateful that I have a bed to sleep in that's warm and comfortable. And I'm grateful that I have a shower to take a nice hot shower in and that I have food in my refrigerator that I can just open my fridge and there's food there. and that um, I have a car to drive. I mean, if we think about the world, you know, if we look, you know, we, we were to look at the world and to see the poverty in, in other countries, you know, they don't have those things. They have their own forms of gratitude. But I have a lot to be grateful for. So when I practice the disease of more, it's, it's a form of ingratitude. And, you know, in order for me to be of service and maximum service to the people of God, I mean, I mean excuse me, to the people about me, I need to have a, a, a firm foundation of humility and gratitude for what I already have. Because, you know, I remember complaining to, to uh, Mr. Harlan about something, about my job. And he said to me, you know, you have a... a 
a salary, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, you have retirement, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, a lot of people would surely like to have that. You're right. <laughs> so talking to someone else helps put things in perspective as well. So gratitude has a lot to do with combating the disease of more. Thank you. Thank you very much, LNC from Long Island, New York, for your question this morning and all of your responses. Just, just you know, enlarge this presentation today so much. It was so heartfelt. Thank you. That would be the last question for today as we, we go to the point of, of wrapping things up. Your humility was just blazing through this morning through tender and vulnerable um, heartfelt experiences that you shared with each one of us today. Thank you so much, Ross. Thank you so very much. The time has gone by very, very quickly, so you'll have an opportunity to be able to listen to this again, even the questions and answers, which are so touching, by listening to this presentation once more. And you'll find that with this share ID number, 20923-20923. And I will tell you more about how to get to that later. But for now, let's close our meeting as we always do in the traditional way here at A Vision for You by reading from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you 